0: After all this, you still... I still want that gas, yes. And you had better deliver. All right. Welcome back to the Greenhouse, dear listener. I'm joined again by Gabby. Hello. At this rate, I think you are my most demanded return guest. I I think, yeah, you've racked up most appearances at this point. So congratulations on that. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not a contest, but if it was, you have one. Um,
1: I'll keep that in my heart forever, honestly.
0: <laughs> we love her, folks. We love her. So um, I didn't have an, I mean, I prepared a bit of an outline for this one, but really I'm just basing this off of a chat we were having that had like my gears turning. And this is going to be largely subjective. I can't really cite anything. I tried to find an article we could do as a reading series for this one, but it was about like downward mobility and precarity, but it was in New York's New York times column. And I was like, I don't know what angle this is going to take. And the broad angle of the article at the end of the day was we should care about downward mobility because it's now starting to affect upper middle class people. <laughs> so once again, New York times absolutely on the nose. Um, But I think we were having a conversation about just how downwardly mobile everyone is, how difficult it is to find a job, the weird intersections of the troubles of daily life, and how rights and benefits from work tend to fall, and alienation, loneliness, really why does modern life tend to suck so much <laughs> Tended to, was the was the theme in that conversation so i figured we could just have a grab bag discussion about that and i think i'll start probably with what triggered the conversation was um you mentioned that you were on someone's shit list for uh what you were saying about being married these days but i think you had a very excellent point on it being tied to people's benefits and stuff right
1: Yeah, so I've been sitting and thinking a lot about the institution of marriage, for use of a buzzword, uh, and how there's this divorcing from... Divorcing, see how I did that? (laughs) Um, But from actual uh, love and purity in a relationship into uh, a very... It becomes the most viable option for safety in terms of, like, financial institutions and otherwise, um, Mm -hmm. and how... I'm gonna use the word bastardized too, which is another marriage adjacent word, but um, <laughs> I'm full of them today. But how kind of the this institution that originally, as far as I understand it, or not necessarily originally, but in my personal opinion, should be on the basis of two individuals wanting to share their lives together. And, and that's a very pure and beautiful thing about human connection and things of that nature. And it's been manifested in a way that is almost hidden by that. It's still viewed as this like pure, wonderful thing. But in reality who is who does the 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 civil union the state side of marriage who does it really benefit um and we get benefits obviously uh however really you become and this is the nihilistic take i I found out of it was you become less of a financial risk um this was triggered mostly by my current housing hunt with apartments Mm -hmm. and how um, me and my partner are viewed as like separate people just kind of rooming together, like oh, your roommates because we're not married, right? And if mm-hmm. we were married, our income would be considered combined, and we'd have a lot more access to a lot more housing options because we would reach their, reach their income um, qualifications. Because essentially, uh, if they see our income qualification as together, they're going to view our in- they're only going to view our income together if we're married because we are prohibited by the state from easily leaving that union. Uh, And so you are therefore less of a financial risk. Um, If you're just a couple who can leave at your own leisure, uh, (laughs) you are more liable to leave and therefore more of a risk, right? Uh, Your income can't be adequately combined. And it just sent this down spiral of like how we've taken this thing that should be about human connection, shrouded it in uh, still that human connection basis, but really becomes this... uh, vehicle for stability for people who don't have as much money, mm-hmm. uh, which is really sad and miserable. Um, how it, it creates situations where people can't leave um, leave their relationships, how this isn't as much of a problem if you already have a lot of resources because you don't really need to marry for those those benefits as much. It's not as dire. Uh, it's It's quite a sad state of affairs when I look at my partner and I say like, oh, should we get married because I want you to be able to uh, have a right over me if I'm in a coma, or because uh, we want more financial financial stability. Uh, when I should be asking that question, because I'd like to spend the rest of my life with him, uh, <laughs> but that's not the case, right? So, quite a nihilistic <laughs> kind of miserable take uh, on it. But uh, that's where this started. <laughs> was was that down spiral?
0: Yeah, and it got me. It got me thinking about a lot of anecdotal things i can convey i mean we've all seen these bullshit articles that you know make us all mad about mo- less millennials are starting families less millennials are getting married millennials didn't buy enough starbucks this week or wh- whatever the fuck they need to say to gin up whatever but we see it in our lives and in people we know i've i hear this all the time that people who were dating for a minute decide to get married because one of them has health insurance and the other doesn't. And they can get the vital uh, health services they need that they otherwise didn't fucking have access to. Um, When it comes to things like housing, I mean, finding an apartment these days is rough, but let alone trying to buy your own house to come up with the funds to have a down payment or even to get approved. I mean, at this point, it's a bidding war. It's not like back in the day where you just went over and said, I'd like a house and they just threw one at you. It's the barriers for entry get higher and higher and higher. And we're just seeing this more where I think for our generation under present conditions, It's less of this generation being uniquely fucked, according to boomers, and a lot more of this seems to be a generation that cannot make decisions on their own terms the way a lot of them would like. And more specifically, those traditional markers of adulthood cannot be reached at the same times or for the same reasons. So marriage, for example, instead of it being a celebration of love or as like a rite of passage or whatever traditionally people end up viewing it as, um, it, it ends up becoming one of those things where it's like, well, we needed to get married to get a house. We needed to get married to have health insurance or uh, be able to meet this criteria for stability.
1: Yeah. And I think I had this thought while I was was talking earlier, but in relation to marriage, there's kind of this viewpoint that people collectively Mm -hmm. have that the way marriage works now is more quote unquote pure. Because if you think back to like political marriages from, I don't know, the middle ages, if we're talking Europe or whatever, there's plenty Mm -hmm. of political marriages across the world. um, And that's been I mean, it still happens, but mm-hmm. it's much less frequent, or you're not marrying, you know, you're not giving your daughter away uh and then giving the the husband to be a bunch of money and the right over your daughter. Um, now it's it's much more each person consents to that decision. But is that really what's totally happening? It's it's not as overt uh as it was before, but we, we think we've made all this progress toward all oh, people now can get married, but it's like, no, oh, this is still a very confining type of thing that happens that isn't necessarily like you were saying people's full choice it's just more hidden now it's more secretive um especially in terms of i'd be remiss if i didn't mention how marriage contributes to uh problems of intimate partner violence Mm -hmm. uh in couples especially we see there it can happen to anyone across any uh social um standing any kind of monetary benefit anything like you can you can always have those situations happen but you see them often in in lower income relationships and and you wonder you have to sit here and scratch your head and wonder if these people are pushed into getting married because it has very real benefits tax Mm -hmm. benefits others to say another we hadn't mentioned um and now they're stuck in a relationship that they can't leave without monetary benefit they can't leave without having a lawyer they can't leave without spending a lot of money uh which is really screwed up it's not right. <laughs> appropriate. um so we've just almost traded this um lack of freedom into we've, we've disguised it as being a lot more uh, free choice but is it really free choice for people on the bottom or is it freer choice for people who have the resources in order to leave in order to uh not have to engage in these relationships. You can just, if you have the monetary benefits, you can just stay as a couple and not worry about it because you can afford a house on your own. You have health insurance. You don't have to, you can do it out of love uh, if you want to, and you can do it for just the ease of it, just the simplicity. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also something to say too about um, even if you do get married and you don't change your name to be the same last name, do you really enjoy all of the benefits that other people do? There's still this kind of, I'm going to call it I'm gonna call out the patriarchy but like that patriarchal <laughs> system though, but where you the name changing is is weird mm-hmm. um, to me. And it's okay if people want to do it. But at the same time, it's like you have to understand how it it denies benefits for people who decide they don't. I never want to change my last name. I have three degrees at this point with my name on it. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, like, you
0: don't I'm want to pay gonna, for the reprint I no. sure as hell wouldn't.
1: And here's the thing is my my and also, after, if you end up getting divorced, oh, that's another nightmare, is trying to change your name back. Also, my partner, not to throw him under the bus, but his last name is Ugly, and I don't want it. So, <laughs> he knows. It's not a secret. Um, so, like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, even if you get married and you do all the things, and you don't want to change your name because it's a pain in the ass, well... Now people don't believe you're married. What if you walk into a, a hospital and your partner's, you know, something horrible happened and you say, Hey, I'm their wife or husband and, or a partner. And they go, they go, Oh yeah. You don't have the same last name.
0: Well, fuck you too. <laughs> right. Right. And I think like, there's a lot to unpack here and I'm trying to thread the pieces together. Thankfully I'm sober. So this should be easier, <laughs> but, um, Like, again, like when I keep talking about this phenomenon of greenhouse gaslighting and like this idea of like we keep telling ourselves these things that about the world we live in that it's clearly dysfunctional in ways, but we believe certain things about it. And I think this just finite window that you've described is one of those ways in which in modern American society, we have these popular conceptions of living in a meritocratic society, broadly speaking, that if you work hard, X and Y and Z will happen positively for you. We have these ideas that our society is broadly speaking fair. And because of the widespread influence of uh, free market purists, in my opinion, this idea of freedom of choice is incredibly pervasive. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, because when we talk about things like healthcare, for instance, right? That's one of those things that's, it's said, like, I, I, it's said with faith. I'm not sure how else to describe how people say it. But there's this idea that, well, private health insurance gi- guarantees freedom of choice. But in what sense? hmm especially if you take into account the reality that wages are on a downward spiral the ease of finding a job is harder and harder do people really have a choice in their health care plan if they're trying to go for the cheapest option they need is, is that really a choice like they they talk about it like you get presented a menu at a restaurant But you have like all the allergies. Did you really have a choice when you walked into the restaurant if you have all the allergies? No, you were gonna order white rice if if
1: like and that's I think that's related too to like but like choice, but choice for who. Right? Exactly. It's not it's it's most people don't have a choice, but it's like who I I think we have this 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 is this pervasive idea is, is enforced because there are some people who do get the choice, right? The people who have more money and who are able to devote resources to it. Um, So we look at that and we go, yeah, yeah, the choice, it's there. See, look. Uh, However, it it ignores the massive amount of people who are just literally scraping by and Mm -hmm. are buying whichever benefit package is affordable or uh, taking whatever their employer decides is what they should get. Um, They get one option. The money comes out of their paycheck. you know and that's that people <laughs> even have
0: time to review these things like do you think most people have a time to like find the benefits website their company has for them look through all the possible options and then calculate well, okay i could probably afford this this month and then try and like and you get locked into these plans too so it's like you have the yeah. choice at the time of signing then you're locked in until the next cycle
1: yeah well and if you're working there's also like a difference between like working a salary job and working an mm-hmm. hourly because I know people who have worked hourly positions and they basically need to be hyper calculating their hours to make sure they're hitting that on average full time mark mm-hmm. so that they can be eligible for health care benefits. So they can actually sign up, um, you know, and that doesn't say anything about the fact that then once they get it, it takes it out of their paycheck. But um, for, you know, salary workers, you can just pick your care. Care plan, maybe it sucks and you wait for the next cycle, um, which isn't great, but when you're an hourly worker, there's the additional stressor of if I don't meet reach that average for what my company and what the state decides is full-time, I'm not eligible for healthcare benefits. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a very real stressor for that first little bit of work. And, and sometimes it's completely out of your control. You might be trying to pick up every shift possible, but you're just not getting scheduled. Or maybe your manager who makes the schedule doesn't particularly like you for some reason. And they stop giving you as many hours. It happens. It's real. And so there's also that additional stressor for that situation too.
0: It's like, damn. Absolutely. And I think like when you bring these, because these aren't um, novel or esoteric critiques. These are daily concerns that, people beyond just me and you have brought up mm-hmm. day in and day out about the system. And especially with more right wing or more cent, uh, center, left, center, right. At this point, uh, opposition to that, it's like, well, that's the bureaucracy. That's not the system. And it's, it's again, said with the same level of faith. I, I call it faith. Cause I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like, it's this idea of like, trust me, it's going to work itself out. And it's like, in what sense, in what mm-hmm. sense is it working itself out for people? Um, and it's it's one of those very unique um, breaking of the mask moments in these popular American conceptions of the free market, of the meritocracy, when anyone says anything about a universal program of any kind. And I, I'm not here to defend Bernie Sanders. I am, but that's not the purpose of today. <laughs> We can get into that later. There will be a Happy Birthday Bernie episode, I promise. But um, I think with the – I'll be honest. I feel like a lot of the media opposition to Medicare for All or any kind of universal healthcare plan in the United States is largely AstroTurf. It's largely concocted. Just to manufacture enough doubt that, like, well – it's going to suck more than what you already have that's that's largely mm-hmm. how it gets metabolized and i'm not saying that it, any universal program is a silver bullet of course that's a problem for public administrators and like the logistics of making that system you know that that takes time i'm not denying that but when you have something like universalized healthcare all of a sudden people aren't tied to labor in that way Mm -hmm. all of a sudden people aren't tied to their partners in that way and especially when you were talking about intimate partner violence or people who are in just non-ideal situations you know what i mean or even like if you're a younger kid who needs to like get away from the family or something like that these are things that keep you tied it's the literal like well we're all we all implicitly understand to some extent that there's no pack it up and go to the farm in the united states there is no farm if there is you are in debt to john deere you know what i mean <laughs> um so you st- you become reliant on what little you do get otherwise you are homeless you know what i mean yeah. but when we start to universalize these things people get more independence that's the part people aren't putting two and two together on in my book, at least.
1: Yeah. It feels almost strange because the, the argument can be like against these kinds of programs tends to be one of independence and one of free choice and, and the idea that this will take that away. Um, And it's like, there's almost not a, an awareness of looking at the whole picture of like, but this system we already have takes your power away. You don't have power. You're making choices Mm -hmm. to survive. That's why I don't, anyone who engages in and I know like I I went on a whole tirade about marriage so I just want to Mm -hmm. make it clear anyone who engages in marriage like in my mind I'm like well duh I mean (laughs) that's one of the few benefits you're going to be able to afford yourself like I've sat and had conversations where it's like well this is just more viable it's a better idea if I'm going to be with you anyway I might as well reap the benefits um and it's sort of like I don't want to demonize people who engage in marriage but it's just like being able to fully view the picture of like I think a lot of this is also tied to like people wanting to have make sense of the world and have control over it. And it's very scary to acknowledge that maybe you don't have control or maybe these things are pushing you down. Um, it's I think it's a lot more comfortable to feel like you are somehow in control of it or you can change it or you already have some type of determination that you're self-determining. Uh, it's a very uncomfortable feeling to be faced with forces that you can't necessarily control. So I think part of it comes from that too, the like reluctance to actually acknowledge how much these systems currently face push us down because they're shrouding this idea of free choice uh, when really there's a lot of context and nuance that means it's not free. Uh, There's a lot of things holding you back, but it's a lot easier to, you know, just strive for that better job, strive for uh, more financial security to invest money so you're not relying only on your income from your job to, you know, I don't know, do something on the side like you know, open or I don't know random examples popping into my head is buying things off Craigslist and fixing them up and flipping them right like silly things but I see these mm-hmm. I see people in the in real in the real world doing these things to add to that uh, to their their income in order to not be completely dependent on their job uh because it's scary
0: <laughs> well right and we see this with the proliferation of like the online spaces like Someone will have a banger tweet and then like someone will be in the messages like, hey, can you advertise this product in the comments? We'll pay you $200 or something. Or with things like Twitch or even like podcasts. Like I've said I don't want a sponsor for this, but it was one of those things that just clicks in my mind. I'm like, well, this could be supplemental income because no job's enough. You need supplemental income unless like you're making a fuck ton. Yeah. Um,
1: And your job controls so much of your life. Like if you lose mm -hmm. it, you lose everything. So having those pieces of supplemental income become really important. And I think, Mm -hmm. again, if we're talking about thinking something like investing, people who are, who have more money and who understand investments, who understand like a financial profile and things of that nature, who have the education to understand it, all of these things uh, also tend to have more mobility because their income isn't always just their job. They can move and change a job. They can be unemployed and they're not, they're whole lives aren't threatened because they have income coming in from other and other spaces.
0: Yeah. And that's, I I had a point that I wanted to make about the American dream, not being something that can be lived up to anymore, but I'll get back to that in a sec. Um, The other thing that gets me about stocks or the side hustle stuff. I mean, this is something that keeps getting said where like, if someone just mentions, damn, this isn't enough. I don't know what I can do to scrape by then. Everyone pops in with the, well, have you tried monetizing your hobbies?
1: Yeah. I was, yeah, you, that's like, you can't yeah. enjoy
0: anything unless you're making money off of it. So you might as well go. Um, or this thing about stocks or even crypto, which I think crypto is bullshit. But I, yeah, need, oh my I God, need,
1: don't even get me. We can't, don't we don't even have give the me time. Spoiler. No, because, because again,
0: like I, <laughs> a
1: bitch about crypto.
0: <laughs> I, 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 we can probably get into this because when we, I had Cool Zone on, they were broadly able to explain why I've been saying that there's no new money to be made. So crypto exists as this fake market that it's you fake. can be speculating. It's, speculative it's fake. It's not like okay. you're. They call it mining because it's supposed to like give the illusion of production. It gives the illusion of production, but what's actually being produced? Nothing. It's that
1: part. Okay. It's like that part. And did you watch Wandavision? I'm just gonna throw out Wandavision right now. I feel like everybody watched it. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a scene where Vision is working in the office, and he asks like, "What he actually does? Like, what do they produce?" And they're like you know, we produce units or whatever they say. And I think of that when I think of cryptocurrency, because he's just like begging, he's like, what do we actually do? And they're like, you know, things. And that's, to me, it's crypto. It's it's it, it's nothing, it, it it's nothing. It takes up resources, which people I think also don't, again, don't have the time to get completely into crypto, but like, it's fake money. And it's like a playground for rich people that- well, This is the same amount of
0: space in. as every other industry. That's why they think it's real. They yeah. see the carbon emissions go up and they're like, it's a business. Let's do it. But...
1: <laughs> well, it, it, to me, crypto is insidious, too, for a lot of reasons. But like one of the biggest ones is that it was created by people with an obscene amount of income, basically mm-hmm. as a playground to have a new new thing to fuck around with. And now you have people who are just trying to scrape by, who see right. maybe an opportunity to get involved. And so they're engaging with it, too, because they kind of don't... It's not that they don't have a choice, but like I don't ever demonize people who are are just striping by and look at a little bit of a way to make money who are investing in crypto. Because you know right. what? There's so little, so few opportunities to make additional money without running right. yourself ragged that it's like, I, I can't blame you. I can't blame you. But then all it does is it benefits these people who created it yeah. in order to have basically just play around because they're, I don't know, they're bored. The alternative to flying into space, I guess. I don't know.
0: Right. Right. And and it's the same thing with stocks, in my opinion, too, is like they keep talking about having a stock profile like it's this a way to get financial independence. And I don't I fail to fucking see that because. When you build up these investments, when you keep putting your income into this, especially after 2008, where we keep seeing faith erode in the market, when we keep seeing these bailouts and we see people get angry about the bailouts, and then someone comes at you and says, but you should sink your money into this. Like, I feel like it's this concerted effort. I can't cite this. Don't get mad at me. I'm being honest. But it feels like a concerted effort to put uh, middle and lower class people into the stock market so that they're fully bought into the ideology of it. So that way every time there's a crash and then the next round of people saying, "Well, this is bullshit. We shouldn't be doing this." Come in. Now you have another class of investors who is going to say, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to get my cut one day. You can't do that."
1: Like a like a predatory system where It's a
0: predatory system, yeah. You're
1: rebreeding people to to get engaged in it. Yeah, I and I'm a little bit I guess I'm a little less negative about stocks not because I love the idea of investments, but only because um, I at least see compared to crypto, I at least see that like, okay, you you give money to company that you think will succeed and you're kind of basically a putting more an educated real. bet. yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit more real. It's not <laughs> totally real. It's not like you are trading money for an object like money was designed to do. Um, but it's at least a little bit, there's at least some kind of like okay. You, there is something you are putting your money into. I, to me, what makes me uncomfortable too, actually, is that a lot of retirement plans are contingent on investments and stocks. Um, and that makes me feel very weird.
0: (laughs) Well, it it is 100% because you're stinking, or sorry, you're sinking all this money. And again, dear listener, tune back into episode 20 with Cool Zone. Lennox does a much better job of explaining this than I ever can. Uh, go follow Cool Zone, but. Basically, like we've pulled all the money from the future today. That's how financing through debt works. That's how the 8 crash happened. And you can also look at Yanis Varoufakis. He was the Greek uh, economic minister. He explained this as well as like how finance capital works today. Is a banker can pull his, he puts his arm into the future and pulls money out from the future and brings it to the present. And the assumption is, is they're going to pay it back. Yeah. But you keep pulling from the fucking future, how much can be paid back in time? That's the real question, if I can explain it in shitty terms. And again, someone, if I'm saying it wrong, please correct me. thats I'll take it as the as the episode engagement, it being corrected as the episode engagement. <laughs> but it's not sustainable to keep pulling from the future when there's no means to pay it back in the present. And I'm not exactly saying that. uh, I'm not saying gold standard. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying it turns speculative in a way that you can't keep up with.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think part of the problem with this is a lack of understanding about how that works. So I have taken some classes about this, but I'm in no way an authority to teach Mm -hmm. anyone about how uh, investments work and how uh, any loans or all that works. But like, it's so funny because like learning it, it's actually like decently simple. Like when you think of like an interest rate, right? And mm-hmm. and again, I'm gonna boil this down as simple as possible. But like, you know, you borrow money now, and uh, the interest rate serves as almost your price for the loan. Like because they're gonna give you the money now, and money in the future is worth less. And when you get explained, it It feels confusing, or when you think about it, it feels confusing conceptually, because you are thinking about, like, okay, future money versus now money, and how much money, how much is the interest to make sure that those things equate, and and whatever it might be, but it's it's honestly not as complex as people make it out to be. I'm totally slaughtering a description, so, like, mm-hmm. do not use me as, a, as an authority on this, um, but do, watching some videos of people who actually are good at explaining this makes it actually pretty simple, and I almost feel like the mystery or the confusion in the way that it's explained. I don't want to say it's on purpose. Again, this is totally speculative and just very subjective in nature. But given, after I started to learn how simple it actually is, I was like, why does no one know this? Why do kids not know this? Why, not kids, but like teenagers. When I say kids, I mean like teenagers. Like when they go into the world, why do adults not understand this? Like, it's pretty simple. And that feels like it's by design.
0: <laughs> well like right because it design. walls it off. It's yeah. like I, I again I'm still skeptical of the investment hoopla of people who just say like you should put your money into stocks now. Mm-hmm. Because I do think it's it's a predatory way to look for new investors. And I broadly don't agree with it as a concept, but that's a me problem. <laughs> um that that being said, I mean who gets to have access to these means of producing money has always been limited from the jump in our country. And when it comes to who has mobility and who doesn't, it it works in the same ways. So I guess this brings me back to the original point that I was going to make about the American dream is that the American dream as a whole of like, not only that you could you strike it rich, but that you have any say in that self-determination that you have any control over that path. I mean, it's it's all but gone today. It's all but proven false at this point.
1: Well, I mean, and and the fact that now we're turning on something like stocks as a way to do that, like that's now kind of the conversation turner, which is maybe like a segue, but uh, stocks are a good way to not only get supplemental income, but to Move yourself up that ladder, because um, hard—we've shown that it's been shown that hard work doesn't do it, doesn't cut it. I um, mean, you know, hard work and a shit ton of luck instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, oh, just you know, invest. Like if you just invest more, like that's a that's a fair way. But when you think about an investment, I mean, the riskier you get, which are the ones that make the money that happen fast, um, mm-hmm. you're not going to get rich off government stocks and bonds. I'm sorry, it's just off government bonds. It's not going to happen. They're safe, but it's never going to happen. Um, when you invest in in the risky stuff, though, that's what makes you strike it rich, essentially. and moves you up mm-hmm. that social ladder. But the the fact of the matter is, is that that's highly risky. And it ends up turning out similar to betting. I mean, it, it it's not the same exactly because there's a lot of things you can do. But when you don't have that expertise and you can't devote your time and you don't have the education to know what's the perfect investment or what's the safest investment, and you incur that risk, like that just stands to hurt you. And it does end up working a lot like betting. And so people who have the expertise, it's not as much like betting people who don't, who are encouraged right. to do this in order to strike it rich. It is. And a risky investment is what's going to make you the most money, but a risky investment in some company that who knows, like, I don't know. Say you Tesla. In, yeah. Or, but like, say you invested in the fucking Snuggie. I don't know. Like the company right. that makes it goddamn Snuggie, honestly, for a little bit there, you probably would have made a good chunk of money because those damn mm-hmm. things were selling all over the fucking place. But now, I mean, you you'd probably never catch anyone dead buying a Snuggie. I I don't even know where the company is. Uh, and it's it's a game almost. And if you don't know the rules of the game, mm-hmm. you are basically betting. And it's another way to basically fuck your life over if you're not careful.
0: But I guess <laughs> it's, it's
1: still I, just a misnomer.
0: <laughs> maybe maybe I think the. Uh, the divergence of stocks helps in this case because it by people still see the stock market as legitimate, despite just how much fuckery has happened in our, in our lives surrounding the stock in market. Stock? Right. Um, and I think it is just one of those things like, because it's treat It is the literal lottery. People still have that idea of, well, if it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. I guess that's what it is. Even though, like, you can look at all these, and again, like, financial crime is one of those fields that's interesting and dry all at once because <laughs> it's numbers. But when you know just how much people have their finger on the scale all the time in this industry, and how much of, especially, the neoliberal uh, approach to finance capital is pouring like ice water on a, on a hot engine. It's, 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 it's particularly insidious to me because I think more and more people, again, are just trying to like, believe in that old idea of like, well, if you work a job and you put in yourself into it, you put your soul into it, you should at least live a decent life. And with more and more people saying, well, just, you know, take on a take on a gig job, you know, get a little supplemental income working DoorDash or Uber, uh, start your OnlyFans, uh, monetize your, one of your like social media accounts or like, become a internet micro celebrity and like have a Patreon, whatever, like, these are not only uh, things that you can look at objectively and be like, oh, so people get told this, but it's like, at a gut level we've all thought about it we've all thought about like damn maybe i should pick up a site hustle damn maybe i should uh uh you know start a patreon or something damn maybe adi should start only fans we'll figure but, this out
1: <laughs> i literally i'll just i'll out myself right here i literally uh i was in a one of my grad classes <laughs> and i was just so fed up right? i wasn't making very much money just, grad school can be Uh, miserable um and I looked at one of my friends actually no this is when we were remote so I messaged her we're in the same class in a zoom call and I sent her a message I was like should I just start an onlyfans like make money and she was like what are you talking about she's like you're literally getting your graduate like educate like what do you talk I'm like well just make some extra cash like it's fine she's like no like what are you talking about and I'm like I don't know like I don't know and I feel like it infects all that like all of your viewpoint I I totally agree I I thought to myself oh you should like tutor for chegg what do you mean why in the
0: the kentucky fried fuck would i do anything off the clock but
1: what is going on but i'm like oh i can make a little bit of extra cash i'm like that's
0: not no get out of (laughs) here no and they they treat it the way we talk about it is also kind of weird like we talk about it like it's like money to like spend on like little trinkets or like taco bell or something like it's not like uh the fact that this actually becomes people's rent, that this actually becomes people's healthcare payments and shit. Um, And it's also one of those things too, where like there's a lot of moralistic language that comes up around it. You know what I mean? Where people suddenly like start to talk about gig economy workers, like uh, they deserve to put themselves in this situation and not the fact that for a lot of people, this is the only employment they can seem to find Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: for things like OnlyFans, you know, it's not even the position of uh, you can't even do the swerve thing anymore. Of of moralistically arguing about sex work, it's now the literal point of some people needed to make payments at this point. The 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 literal fact of like precarity is not being addressed in any of this. Where I think more and more, the reality of one payment coming in to fuck up your day is. The reality for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And as much as I hate that New York Times uh, column that I was reading earlier, like, it has reached a point where precarity is hitting everyone. And I mean, again, not to not to cite Matt Chrisman again. But he was having this thing about how like the Trump base, which is more so affluent uh, folks, which is more so like, rich people or even like, our newest class of insane billionaires elon musk fucking uh bezos all this stuff there's a weird kind of precarity that is hitting them too and they're also acting out of sync Hmm.
1: okay yeah i'm I'm like stuck on i feel like if this is something that's permeating all levels right Mm -hmm. Um, which i can't speak too much to but it's almost interesting because I've known people who have lived, uh, I know someone who's lived just on that precarious space their entire life, right? It's always mm-hmm. been the reality. It's been the, they can barely afford to, they, they they save up all their money, they buy a car, that's shitty, the car breaks down, everybody asks them why they didn't buy a better car? Why didn't you just wait and buy? He said, like, well, I need one now. Um, and that precarity of, of supplementing income with uh, donating plasma was one. Mm-hmm. Uh, which feels insane uh, to to pay rent to to pay for a car to buy a car that is a necessity where 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 they were living. And I feel like this precarity is so familiar, but it's almost interesting because now that it's becoming more of a conscious uh, awareness or more people are experiencing it, it's it's something everyone's talking about, mm-hmm. uh, which I feel like there's a sector of our society who's always lived like that. They're like, well, mm-hmm. duh. Like, duh, I needed to always do these side hustles, duh, I needed to, you know, yeah. spend all my money on this thing, or or I was, I was one emergency away from losing my housing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just think it's interesting that now we're at a point where it's coming into public consciousness because it's affecting so many more people, even people who are making what we would all consider, quote unquote, livable wages, you know, mm. the the 40, 40K uh, a year, which is like the standard, right, that everyone talks about, um, is not becoming a standard. It's still a precarious space to be. I also think, not to tirade too much in the opposite direction, but I also feel like this has to do with a consumer culture, um, and I'm mm-hmm. gonna get on that for a second, but um, it's that impulse I feel like we have culturally to, um, to as soon as we make more money, we feel the need to uh, fulfill that with extra things, right? A to nice able...
0: house, a nice yeah. car. Do you
1: need the, you know, the three-bedroom apartment that costs an extra 500 a month? Yeah, you can afford it, um, but do you need it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Is that necessary? And I think people get in, stuck in that trap a lot of continuing to consume higher and higher. That equals their... Uh, equals their, their earnings um, unnecessarily, which I think adds to the precariousness of every single person at every single level. It's not, you know, I don't know where I'm exactly going with this, but, but I think that plays a part too, which I, I almost feel like consumer culture is a way of feeling more comfortable. Like, I don't know. I think it's a coping mechanism. Like, I feel
0: like it, it, it is. And I think like, I don't want to wear all my influences on a sleeve. Just know that I'm, I'm again, I'm quoting Matt Crisman here on this. And again, that probably is my inspiration with this show. But it is a good observation to run with, and I don't know if it's necessarily his. But broadly, how you express yourself in America is through your consumer decisions. Mm-hmm. The only real idea we have of engaging the world or engaging ideas is at this consumer product level and i mean with the most recent i mean this is not the most recent, this is the start of the pandemic actually um re- i mean remember in michigan like at the start of the pandemic you had all these people upset that they couldn't like go to restaurants go to shops go to barber shops applebee's to Applebee's I can't go I can't go and yell at the waitress at Applebee's and like we we had our fun with it we all had we all got to like you know uh wear our liberal shirts and you know have gay sex afterwards but sorry um um so after the fact it suddenly like it just clicks like wait is it just to like go shopping is that it is that all this is and then like I started to realize too like even in my own life, like what can you really do aside from go to the store, go to the mall, go to the strip mall, go to the fucking I mean, you know, you could go to the park or something and like, there's, there's those aspects. Yeah. But, but broadly speaking, we're always engaging the market here.
1: We are. Well, and that's, it's going to get me on my, my feel- Oh, it's raining. My feelings about libraries, uh, mm-hmm. because libraries are one of the few spaces where people can just be, without the expectation of spending or buying. Now there is kind of a, I am I'm to be fair when I say that, uh, to get a library card, oftentimes you need to have an address in the area you're in. And if you don't have an address because of financial insecurity uh, Mm -hmm. or any other, uh, that becomes a problem. But uh, in this town, in the city I live in, people, the library was like, we would go there. And I've always lived in rural communities um, or and when I didn't live in a rural community, I was going to school in a fairly well-to-do area, right? So mm. I had never seen this before where I went to a library to go, like, get a book out or print something or whatever. And it was just full. I mean, literally full of people, just people sitting around, people on the computers, people wandering around the library. And it struck me in that moment. I was like, damn, like, especially in these in city areas, libraries are one of the few places you can go. No one's going to tell you you need to spend money there. No one's going to tell you you need to li- leave. No one's going to bother you, essentially, as long as you're being, you know, respectful. You're not, like, screaming or something. So it's interesting, though, because it's like parks. But even parks, you have parks that are paid enter. I mean, mm-hmm. those exist. A lot, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of them. Um, and usually they're the really nice ones. So I almost feel like... Uh, it's like one of the few safe havens of places where you can just be. Um, but I totally agree with that. That's where my my library rent support libraries. Go rent from the library. Stop buying books from Amazon. There we go.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, like, it just furthers that reality that for a lot of people, spending and making money is is the cornerstone of their life, and we don't have those institutions or places in like public life anymore where like not only is there not an expectation to spend money but like you can just live you can just walk around you can just like exist and like not only be safe but like that's just a part of life where you live you just went to the library to chill now you know for most of us in the midwest it's walking around a big box store i'm not sure if everyone else does this but like Oh, That's I, did. Joke.
1: I to do it all the time. Yeah.
0: The joke in Michigan is like, hey, you want to go to Meyer? We're not going to go. We're not going to get anything. We're just going to go walk around the store.
1: <laughs> the precursor of my relationship, like one of the things we did in the first summer I was with my partner was we would go to Meyer at 2 a.m. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then just walk hours. around. Yeah. Just wander around. Uh, sometimes we would get baked goods from the oops, we baked too much section, which is the we fucked up and uh, please buy their clearance. <laughs> um and that was our entire trip and we did it like maybe two to three times a week which is weird uh <laughs> it's weird um but it's true i almost feel like some of those box stores though, like your walmart's your meyer Myers, i'm doing the midwest thing with the plural <laughs> but uh i feel like they, they are a place where you're supposed to spend but at the same time we the employees are paid so little, and no one gives a shit. So you could just walk around and not spend anything, and no one bothers you because they, <laughs> they don't notice you've been there for the past two hours.
0: Maybe that's a positive thing. Maybe we should all try to reclaim public spaces like that, even just if they all get around. privatized. Fuck it, we're gonna we're gonna reclaim these privatized parks one day. Yeah.
1: Also, <laughs> like fuck, like fuck, fuck malls. I just want to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. I know you don't technically quote unquote need to spend money at a mall. But there's one thing my mother was always very strong-willed about and that was well she's strong-willed about many things but uh she hates malls or she hated malls um she was always very uh she thought they were like the consumerist uh like a hellhole of consumerism Mm -hmm. uh that's just depressing there's no like good windows to the outside world it's just this miserable place where you walk around to spend money and I identify with that. Like I feel that. I walk into a mall and I'm like, I know that I don't technically need to spend money, but the fact that people just go to walk around and that's one of the only places to do so, uh, yeah, it's kind of fucked up <laughs> when you
0: think yeah, about it. Yeah, because you don't have anything nice like a promenade or like a boardwalk most places. You gotta no, you
1: and just even gotta then those places get turned into
0: malls of a sort.
1: Yeah, you just walk around the fucking mall and then you, you're subjected to the looking at the piercing pagoda and wondering
0: Everybody as the knows. the
1: people little children get the little piercing gun in their ear and you're like oh no
0: (laughs) go to a real piercer
1: please go to go to a piercer (laughs) not the pagoda man
0: on one end it's macy's on the other end, it's (laughs) oh my gosh um and here's something funny look this up because i'm going to fuck up the retelling so this is based on facts but i'm paraphrasing heavily is the guy who invented malls wanted to actually approach them from more of, like, a humanist perspective. (laughs) Okay. Like, he wanted them to be, like, self-contained communities, so it wasn't just, like, shops, but it was more like uh, there'd be housing. So it would be, like, public housing, places to, like, gather, places to, like, go have fun, places to, uh, to, like, shopping would be a contained aspect of it. It wouldn't be the whole point. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and even workplaces, and like you still see that in some parts of the world. I mean, they're bringing this back in the United States, but more so in other parts of the world than the United States. Like, you would have office spaces in malls as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was thoroughly disappointed with what became of the mall when he when it started to be put into practice, which is just another real estate shithole that shops lease up space in
1: yeah i've just as a side note to this have i'm sure people everyone has gone to a dying mall um at some point in their (laughs) lives there is nothing to me that is more depressing than a dying mall uh (laughs) like i can't even describe the feeling Uh, every i think everyone at some point in their lives should find themselves a dying mall i guess the criteria for this would be at least one of the large box stores on the end of the mall is closed minimum one and the they rest closed
0: Macy's. Oh my god. They
1: closed the Macy's. They closed the JCPenney, the Sears. All of <sighs> one of them are closed, all right? And then I don't even know if Sears exists anymore in its true form. Anyway, uh, and the rest, the other criteria is I would say about a third. A third of the other stores need to be closed. And you just walk by and there's just like shuttered. The, the they've got the gate pulled down and maybe there's a bath and body still existing and there's a three doors away there's a there's a let me see, a hot topic um a place i spent a lot of time in my youth uh,
0: <laughs> which, which again hot topic is also has declined like it used to be like a scene kid type place now like half their inventory is fucking funko pops
1: oh my god okay <laughs> the spooky, maybe I'll have to cut this part. I don't know. The spooky door from Hot Topic, the the spooky archway, you know, the oh gosh. the red letters. Man, that shit. I was like, this store, this store is, and I was like twelve. I was like, this is where the preps are are in fear, and I can go and be safe. This is where <laughs> I need to be.
0: And, and now it's
1: like palatable. It has nice windows. It's it's got inoffensive an lettering, and I'm like, there's no screamo music playing, and I'm like this the is no longer won. a safe haven the, the nerds won we All live right. in the reality
0: where the nerds won and like me as someone who got thrown into the nerds and was never accepted i'm like this is not the world i wanted either i <laughs> where are the kids who went to sleep after school i was i should have been with that group like <laughs> oh my gosh um <sighs> Yeah, I because broadly speaking, that's all there really is to do. And that's all we can really aspire to culturally these days is like the next big purchase of having a house. Maybe getting married is one of those goals for people. But less and less, it seems to be something that people can organically choose to meet as their goal. And for a lot of people I've talked to, especially like the thing that did them in for marriage was something about financial stability or it Mm -hmm. was about ease of access to something and i think there's something fundamentally sad about not being able to live a life on your own terms and ultimately like that's where i'm at too is like my only thing i can say is like i my my next thing i want is a house so i can get a dog and i can get married yeah it's stupid that that's where i'm at and like i wish i had something better to aspire to and I'm not, I, I hope that people aren't as jaded as me. I hope people really have dreams still. I really hope that people find things in their lives that give them purpose because I've struggled with that lately. Um, and this is something that I wanted to get into as well was um not just precarity, but how atomized and how alone people seem to be these days as well. And I think we've heard this term tossed around a lot. Everyone across the ideological spectrum has said it to some extent, or at least that's my way of saying I heard it on Joe Rogan, too, was um, uh, more and more people are lonelier than they've been, not only in their own lives, but in, in historical levels, too. And there's something interesting I, I see about the advice that's given to people of, well, you should move to where the jobs are type approach. Well, you you should go there. Um, and people tend to work longer hours for less. It's harder to meet people, and especially with the advent of remote work, for the, those of us in the professional managerial class or the quote-unquote middle class, to the lack of uh in contact services uh to even like with things like in the gig economy you don't even need to know the person you're getting services from they can leave it at your door and they can like you never have to interact with a single person broadly speaking there seems to be a increased level of atomization in our society i I can't speak for the rest of the world but it feels more and more like people are atomized. And maybe that's just me extrapolating a personal problem onto the world.
1: Yeah, I almost feel like related to employment too, like I feel like a lot of people gather their friend group or individuals and they meet new people through work. Um, And with that, the advent of the, I mean, the gig work, you mentioned the remote work, uh, it's becoming less and less common that you're interacting with people on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I have experienced this. I've worked remote for, since the pandemic started, well, before the pandemic. Yeah, around then, whatever, over a year. And it it is isolating. It's very, um, people that I think I would have gotten to know a lot better through casual conversations I'm not able to talk to on a regular basis. Uh, it's very bizarre. Uh, and I think, do I think that most social interactions should be based on, like, your work experience, like, no, probably not. That's probably not a very healthy system we set up, but that was the the standard before COVID hit. And now that's completely changed. Uh, So I definitely agree. I agree with that a lot. Uh, I think it would be remiss if we did not mention social media and the aspect that has on it and how people kind of curate their personality um, in social media. And so there's, I think social media is real uh, but I think we're seeing a lot less genuine interactions, because I mm-hmm. always keep in mind when I see someone's social media page, um, it's almost like a Facebook page to me, or even a Twitter page can be this way. The Facebook more so, because the way it's designed, feels like a social resume. I mm-hmm. um, I've said this before, but it's literally like you look at that and you see the curated version of what someone wants you to see about their life. Uh, same thing with like a Twitter page or any other social media aspect that people are using. And I think that cuts down on the amount of genuine interactions you can have because say you go and meet these people in person uh, or you interact with them in person and you find out that the curated version of themselves isn't who they are because of course it's not. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, I'm not going to put on Twitter or Facebook when I am being a raging asshole. That's never going to (laughs) happen, which Mm -hmm. does happen. And everybody has moments like that. Uh, so I think that also undercuts a genuine interaction because people are disillusioned by someone they meet that isn't up to the standard of what they've they've built up in their head via a social media page and social media interactions. Because even texting, I mean, even texting, you can you can reread what you write and send the best best worded thing to this person you don't know uh, or no don't know very well in a real context um, and curate the, that version of yourself so that you look as good as you can. And that undercuts genuine social interaction because it is real. But I can say from my own experience, I text people I don't know that well, much differently than I text people Mm -hmm. I know in real life. People I've interacted with in person, people that know me. I text like a fucking idiot when I text them. (laughs) 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 Like I'm literally sending 10 messages and misspelling every other word. But when I'm texting someone I don't know that well, I'm like, oh, I need to make sure this sounds good. I need to make sure that they have a good picture of who I am. It's you know, it's not, it's not, not me, but it's definitely a edited version of me.
0: Yeah, no, I feel that entirely. And this is something that, I mean, again, from the inception of this podcast, like I started with get off social media and then I have not done that. <laughs> and I'm not sure to what extent anyone can fully log off. I mean, if you can get off and never come back, great. I think that's like the best approach, but um, you can't fully log off physically. But I think like what I've noticed is it's like an abstracted way of interacting with people. If like, I'm not sure how much mech anime you've watched, but (laughs) it's, it's literally like, that's how I feel about using any technology at this point, because if you view like the human body as like this flesh bag piloted by the brain, I can't say it any other way, but it's the, it's like, I think it's important to affirm, especially with how there's an emotional aspect to social media use Mm -hmm. where people describe feeling alienated, where people describe uh, just feeling out of themselves or out of their minds when they use it. Like, This is where I think that, especially like lately, this understanding of the mind and body as one entity matters because we we're conditioned to viewing them as separate and just seeing yourself holistically. This this is not even political advice I'm giving at this point. This is just like life advice. I don't know if I'm qualified to give that, but it matters to some extent because at least when I use social media, I can't say this is how everyone uses it. It's like now my brain is not using my body to communicate. My brain is now like directly through the phone trying to communicate. Now my phone's my body. And then it's a new like personality I'm trying to create. And we talk about like these narratives we try to create on people's social media stories. Or like we talk about how Instagram people make their lives look a lot better than they really are. Or on Twitter, you try to look smart but also funny, and then Facebook is like, "Look at all these life events I'm I'm like plowing through." LinkedIn got I don't even know what LinkedIn we is. We it's don't even. I don't. It's corporate.
1: Uh, LinkedIn corporate is. Smile. <laughs> LinkedIn, yeah, it actually feels like LinkedIn posts feel like the equivalent of a that's like stock photo of like people sitting around, like
0: right, less <laughs>
1: smiling, like looking down at you, like you. It's a perspective shot. You are with the corporate entity you are smiling along with them <laughs> like i it, it, to... it's
0: that picture of like a crisp dress shirt and like the crossed arms you know what <laughs> yeah, i am the... that's what We're linkedin all looking is at you,
1: like you're looking <laughs> back it's a perspective shot this is who you are you need to be yeah um, no i totally agree i i think i want to say as soon as you mentioned how much mecha anime my brain immediately was like giant mecha suit with a tiny phone trying to text
0: Right, and it's just an
1: image that like I find so like I don't know that's comedic. Like, like I'm thinking like the mecha from specifically Code Geass, like just like the tiny I, little. Anyway. I
0: was going from the mecha in Regular Show when Regular Show did the mecha anime parody. You remember? <laughs> oh, my and they God. all get in like different layers of mech to pilot like the more advanced version.
1: <laughs> oh, Regular Show, God damn <laughs> Oh shit, um. Uh, yeah, I totally agree though. I feel like people people create it like it's like what I said earlier that people are curating it, and then there's this, there's also like a stress. And then based on like you said, each social media outlet is like a mm-hmm. different a different curated version of yourself you have to be. Mm-hmm uh which is very strange right like if you looked at someone's twitter versus their facebook versus their instagram it's like a completely Wild, different person
0: wildly different
1: <laughs> yeah like it's like very strange and that's why i feel like for me i try to limit i try to limit how many i use because i i've never been one to and i'm going to throw an anthropology word out there but i've never been one to code switch or I, I do everyone does but i'm not intense i feel like the version of me that people see generally is the version of me that does exist however that even gets warped with social media like Mm. i feel it being warped and i think twitter might be the worst one in my life because i feel like facebook is more of an extension of, of who i am i have very few friends so feels everyone who's on there knows me personally but uh it it's a weird it, it almost makes you feel dissociated from yourself, like reading well, yeah, your own stuff.
0: You have to react to everything and everyone at once. And it's I, – I keep talking about feeding the content machine. I'm not sure what I'm getting at other than, like, that temptation of, like, you always got to post. You always got to make videos. You always got to make podcast episodes or whatever because – you have to be productive when things aren't going your way. If you're downwardly mobile, I'm not sure how else to describe that. Yeah, right. You need
1: you. There's like a need to be heard, right? Like when yes, there's so many yes. voices and there's so much going on and it's all happening at one time, it's like, you're a desperate need to and want to be heard and to connect with people, especially the lonelier you feel. And so you use these tools designed for connection, but then, you end up feeling less genuine, and we don't even need to get on Twitter and how bad bad faith takes and bad faith reads are pretty much the tagline of the entire site. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And I mean,
1: Defending like this version of yourself that you are trying to create and, and people aren't getting it and there's a lack of communication. It's just a a shit show.
0: Absolutely. 100%. And like um, in episode four, Matt was saying this of like, it's a non-dialectical space fundamentally. Like you are not going to explain an idea or learn anything there because I don't know what it is aside from the fact that like it's an entrepreneurial space or whether it's like you have to talk about something in this bizarre absolute sense. Like you are, you are giving an absolute statement per tweet but no person communicates in absolutes like that. Do you know what I mean? If that yeah. makes sense?
1: Well, I'm a firm believer that the entire world is made up of of various gradients, right? And I feel like yeah. something like a, a space like Twitter, or even if we're getting back to like this kind of concept of consumerism, I feel like a consumer's culture is, is almost absolutist too. Um, either you value this thing, and so you pay for it, or you don't, or you value your time. Like There's these very economic principles are very absolutist in the way that they view. Um, View things. That's why I, I personally prefer behavioral economics if I'm going to look in economics at all because mm-hmm. it, it it acknowledges the humanistic part of who we are and what we're like and that we don't make the most quote unquote logical decisions because we live in a world where there's a varied amount of gradients and different perspectives and different things impacting what we do and something like social media uh, isn't isn't able to capture that or maybe doesn't even want to capture that. I mean. The goal is to keep you online, back to the consumerism piece. Uh, you're the product, they, they want you to stay on. And so the more you have to explain yourself and the more you have to try to create a gradient where there is none, uh, the more you're gonna be on the site so that you can have Season this best days. version of yourself. Yeah, it's, and I I don't engage a lot on social media. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the textbook person who likes and retweets things and does not tend to comment or, or do anything of the like uh because I just don't care to I don't care to to engage in that way it doesn't I don't I don't like it I even find sometimes I feel nervous about even commenting on my own friends things people I know in person that I I think oh are they gonna take this the wrong way are they gonna see this wrong and I'm like, damn like this has really turned me paranoid, hasn't it <laughs> because of those absolutes right
0: Yeah and I think I guess this probably is going to bring back several threads from several other episodes so this episode has gone all over the place um again listener you get what you paid for and you paid nothing um (laughs) welcome to the show welcome to the fucking fucking show we're
1: doing whatever the hell (laughs) pops into our little brains
0: it's a dialectical space okay um
1: (laughs) that's a very smart way to put it
0: um but yeah so The last place where you see the kind of bullshit, especially on political Twitter, but it kind of occurs in a lot of spaces, I'd say. Really, it is the Tumblr exodus to Twitter that you see point A to point B, how it went down. Because if you remember like that golden age of Tumblr.
1: Oh, yeah,
0: I do. It was academic essays from people who didn't understand what they were talking about Oh, they're wow. talking about theories, they're talking about hierarchies that but the, it's in the context of I hate this user's fucking take on Steven Universe. Here's why they're not <laughs> yeah. intersectional enough or whatever, which already they bastardized the intersectional uh theory there. Oh yeah. And then it's just they they were like fuck it, we can't see titties anymore. Let's move to fucking Twitter. They <laughs> move to Twitter and they're doing the same shit but now they have to do it as a Twitter thread. And for some reason it's just like it i don't know what it is it turned it from like a knife fight to a gunfight if that makes sense
1: yeah because it's it's more it's yeah it's a more reactive space i mean even the platform of twitter is is meant to be react reactive i mean Mm -hmm. the fact that you see what your friends like is weird uh the fact that you see what not just your follow the people you follow like you also see what the people they follow have liked or retweeted which is bizarre um mm-hmm. it's just it's 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 designed for engagement in a way that tumblr wasn't I mean tumblr for me was highly engaging but it was not it's not designed in the same way twitter is actually on on tumblr and, and that oh my god it's like dredges up so many memories it just like hurts <laughs> I'm in pain <laughs> but I feel like there was a, a culture that did shift over of of that, that absolutism, or I feel like people are more kind of, coming back to a point from earlier, um, are more comfortable with knowing things and feeling comfortable in absolutes or feeling more comfortable in really constructive labels. So I think uh, if we're gonna talk, if I'm gonna say the word label, I am I need to say that the LGBT community, especially the Roots in Twitter were a were very guilty of this, of over labeling and over binning people. Um, you're seeing a movement away from that, I think. but it's all kind of back down to that same kind of toxic behavior of we want to grasp what's going on, we want to be comfortable with what's going on, and we want to know everything about it. And it's hard to understand something in gradients, it's easy to understand things in absolutes. If something's absolutely bad, or absolutely good, or absolutely this thing, it's much easier to understand it and engage with it, I think. And people, I think, inherently feel more comfortable with it. Maybe that's like a big old large scale statement to make about everyone, but from my yeah, experience... no, it makes
0: a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And like, ultimately like to tie it back to the alienation aspect, like this, it hits two ways for the person who's in the most alienated position, because not only are they physically isolated for whatever reason, be it, they don't have the time to go out and see people. They just can't uh, meet the scheduling requirements to meet people. There's just no way to interact or they're just far away. What have you? and then you combine that with okay I might just go online and figure out if I can interact with people that way and then you have all these different purity tests and fucking um, absolutist explanations of identity and especially like let's 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 actually put it back into the context of lgbt people online especially for younger people who mm-hmm. were trying to discover things about themselves because they might have been isolated at their school or they didn't have too many friends growing up, or whatever whatever the fuck it is. I th- That's not relevant to this point. Yeah. But they get on, and already there's people with vehemently absolutist takes on transgender identity. Especially the, what is it, uh, people who are strict like uh one-to-one versus people who see it as more of a fluid process. Mm-hmm. That was one of those beefs that was like escalated on Tumblr heavily. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. Unfortunately, I don't understand too much about it. I just know that it's one of those discussions that exists to be had just to be had and isn't useful for people who are trying to learn about themselves. Right.
1: Yeah. And I can speak from my own experience on this is that like, I was on Tumblr back then, and uh-huh. I was, you know, I wasn't incredibly young, but I was definitely impressionable, impression, impressionable and young. And um, from my experience, I was, it was mostly uh, asexuality, which was a really weird space for me to be existing in, because I was constantly based on what people said and these absolutes uh, and these definitions that were very constrictive, deciding that I, oh, there's no way I could because maybe this specific instance or this scenario that this happened or... Whatever, and even as an adult, I feel like I still struggle a little bit with that. And I see people discussing it um, online as well. Still, um, I also think that there is like a denial of people's identities and how they how they intersect. <laughs> <Ha-ha>. But <laughs> but like it, genuinely, I do feel like there's also this pervasiveness of stereotypes around different groups of people. I also identify as BI, and I get a fucking headache every time I see someone who is also bi, who's like, oh bi people do this, bi people do X. Well, look at I bi hate people, that. I fucking and I'm hate like, that. dude, and, and it's funny because I'm just sitting here going, you in this group are perpetuating the same stereotype that other people are using, and when I get these comments from people that are like, oh, you're bi, so you can think that these people are all hot, and I'm like, but I don't find anyone hot. Because I'm also <laughs> asexual, so, so like, so like, shut up. <laughs> I just think what, it's what, so, you know, it's pervasive. It's so pervasive and it, it, it shapes your own identity and it makes you feel trapped. And it's like, for a young impressionable person, I'm glad I wasn't on a website like Tumblr or Twitter when I was like 14, right? I was on Gaia Online when I was
0: 14. <laughs> which, that's also gay. That's also gay, though.
1: Yeah, which uh dates me. Uh, but also, <laughs> like, it's just one of those things where, I'm so fucking glad I wasn't on a space where people were telling me what my identity should or is or could be and what needed to be. I wasn't on these websites till I was a little bit older and I could kind of sift through a little bit more of the bullshit. But I feel genuinely bad for 14 year olds who are trying to figure their shit out and are running around on Twitter.
0: (laughs) Right, and it's the worst part about it, I feel like, is like, you don't even get to ask the question, well, what makes this anonymous user an expert on my life or what I'm going through until you fucking look at the numbers game and you see like this has 9000 likes Mm -hmm. everyone like follows this person and then you just start to think in your head like oh fuck what where do I go with this what am I supposed to do
1: that clout for actual expertise in something because a majority of people start to agree it's like god damn like
0: and that behavior is like reinforced through that like market effect of like you got to generate clicks you got to generate controversy you got to use the controversy to generate clicks and it just creates the space for i mean let's talk specifically about the lgbtq community then or san francisco uh on very you need to be able to use the right label signifiers to describe yourself. And if you're uh, having any ambiguity or doubts, there's no space for support, you're fake or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then it's the same thing too, where like the culture for queer people has always been like, because it's not, there's no leaders to this and calling it a community may not be accurate, right? It's more of a term we use to describe people that has been the most useful way of doing it so far. At least that's how I see it, right? Mm-hmm. It like, and again, like you're saying about like bisexual people and whatnot. I mean, it turns into who the people who say they're bi and what they view as appropriate for people like them to do. And then the people who speak the loudest about hating them and why they hate them the most. And yeah. it turns into all that bullshit about being bi versus being pan. Uh, bisexual people aren't real or are or to or like you know have to be this kind of annoying type and and i mean at least for me right like i've always seen it as like i i am a proverbial large-headed uh midwestern male and i've always felt like it, gender is kind of alienating for me right but if it's useful to define myself as a male i'm a male but i did flirt with non-binary identity for a second Mm -hmm. and it was just one of those things where i felt too scared to say that or i saw people like get upset about it so much because it's like no you have to meet this signifier of being this amorphous twink to meet the fucking criteria otherwise you don't get it yeah you you have to get married on on our terms not yours you have to be uh You have to be non-binary in our terms, not yours. And it's the same thing with bisexuality and stuff, too, is, like, you have to meet someone else's expectation of who you are and not your own expectation of who you should be.
1: I almost feel like it gets even more, not a rabbit hole too much, but, like, when it comes to to bisexuality, too, um, this lack of, like, an understanding. First off, any time I have someone who hears, if I say bi and they go... Oh, so you're not like into non-binary people or trans people. I'm like, I hate God, that. Fuck you. Like I hate that <laughs> fuck so you. Much. I'm like, they're like, well, why don't you say pan then? Because I don't fucking wanna. Like, that's why. Like, <laughs> leave me alone. And I I think it's one of those things too where like there's that, which is just so frustrating. But it, it almost becomes even more dangerous when you have not, I don't want to say dangerous might be a strong word, but like I've had people who are straight or hetero come to me with these ideas that they've seen spread by other bi people and thinking that they are something that also you know clicks with me I mentioned, I mentioned earlier that idea of like oh uh you like this thing or this person so therefore you must be attracted to them and it's like there are bi people who make jokes about that and I'm like that's great and fine and dandy that you're making jokes about that but like goddamn I don't want to have to explain myself every time to people that are well-meaning um but they just don't understand it because they've been given this information on authority from a by person, but that doesn't mean shit. I mean I also think, kind of sidebar to this, uh, the community, LGBT community, I also agree that it's not really a community in a real sense of the word. I think the people who are in the quote-unquote community are the people who are engaging in discussions and people who are visible, because uh, I have a lot of people who fall into the LGBTQ umbrella in my life that couldn't give two shits less about what the quote-unquote community says they're mm-hmm. like, I like dick or I don't like dick, and that's really what they think about. That's all their, you know, their thoughts. In, in the that should be it,
0: honestly. At the yeah. end of the day, maybe fuck. Yeah,
1: and so, like they they don't engage in these conversations at all, and I like I wouldn't say they're not LGBT. They're clearly LGBT, but like I wouldn't call them as part of the you know community because I think the community is more about engaging, and it can be a very helpful place where you can learn and, and connect with people who are like you, but it also can be you know, as we've been talking about damaging and people telling you what you need to be and who you should be. And and uh, you don't belong in this community unless you are. Uh, so maybe we should just fuck off. Well,
0: well, <laughs> well yeah, and ultimately, like, I'm just, I'm going to come out and say this is like, I think at a point, everyone has that right to self-determination and there are systems in place that prevent them from doing that. There's economic ones, like the ones we were talking about. There's legal ones. And then, like, also there's just this, like, clout game bullshit, Mm -hmm. like, in the queer community, now that we're talking about it specifically, right? And it's just one of those things where, like, no one's going to meet all the fucking markers for identity. These were supposed to be, like, descriptive, not prescriptive. Yeah. And the fact that it's, like, well, you got to look like a this hot, this, uh, trending person in media, or you have to meet this, like, so online click, first of all, I'm pretty sure they all don't look that hot. Like there's this whole thing of who's bisexual and who isn't. And it's like, you know what? Fuck it. Courage the cowardly dog is a bi icon. We stand. (laughs) Fuck it. That, whatever. But (laughs) at just at, at a point, it's like, it's turned into a validation machine. And I think we've maybe given up on community in some sense. Like we've, we believe more in validation and gratification and consumption and pleasure than we do in getting to know people authentically or uh, self-discovery or self-realization and all of that shit. And that's, I, I don't know if this is even a good way to end this because we, we've been at this for a second, but
1: yeah i mean feel free to chop this up however you need
0: to (laughs) i'm no this went really well i don't plan on editing this to be honest i think (laughs) i think it was all pretty good and if again you get what you paid for and you paid nothing so (laughs) um i i think it's it's just interesting to note that like we buy all these fake ideas of fairness or meritocracy or what a community is or all of that shit, and these don't apply to our day-to-day realities But there needs to be faith in something bigger than ourselves. That's the only way I I look at this. Like, there needs to be some kind of, like, uh, you you can't be 100% nihilistic about it. You can't just be, like, uh, coldly objective in a way that doesn't add up. There should be a purpose to this in my mind, at least. And if there isn't, then we should all just say, like, hey, this is... This is an undignified way to go about this. This is not a humane way for us to engage in this. And whether it's something as petty as identity or whether it's something as real as like people's um, day-to-day economic realities, I don't think you should be gaslit in the greenhouse. I don't think you should accept the raw deal and take it personally because so many people internalize this shit And they think, well, it's gotta be a problem with me. I haven't worked hard enough. Maybe I'm not meeting these uh, parameters or what have you. But I think there is nothing wrong in accepting you live in a dysfunctional reality and you don't need to take it personally.
1: Yeah, I think kind of adding to a, a final thought too, I think when we look at structures like this or we look at things that might feel less than ideal or these situations, um, or these structures that we have in place, whether it's an identity or I mean, we started with the whole marriage thing or, or anything like that. Um, I think it's important too to look at it and think like, who does this benefit? Um, who is benefiting from this? Who benefits from the restrictive definitions of what it means to be bi or non-binary or otherwise? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you realize that it's not serving you and it's not helping you, there's nothing wrong with, Divorcing yourself from it. There it is again. Mm -hmm. Divorcing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But like divorcing yourself from it and saying, like, no, I'm not going to live my life in that way. And I think we would all be better for questioning these structures and questioning uh our place in them. And if it's something Mm -hmm. that we really do benefit from, it's something we want to do. Um, so not getting married because that's just what you do and it's a goal. Getting married for very real purposes or understanding, you know, the implications of that or picking a label based on what's healthy for you and not feeling the need to justify that to anyone else around you. Um, Because if it isn't serving you or benefiting you or making you better, uh, there isn't really a reason to engage with it, (laughs) in my opinion, Uh, or if you're not helping in some way. um, That's kind of my short form ending thought is really just analyze these things around you, analyze your Mm -hmm. world around you and these structures and The things that make you feel bad or maybe even the things that are goals and think uh if they're societally pressured or pressured by a community is this serving me is it helping me or who if not who is because i guarantee you every single structure benefits somebody (laughs) Someone (laughs) someone. (laughs) yeah and if it's not serving you don't feel restricted to behave with it it took me a long time to learn that uh i can live my life however the fuck i want and i know that sounds silly but like I don't need to be married at a certain point. I don't need to buy a house at a certain point. I don't need to live in a certain way. Like I can go do whatever I want as long as I, you know, within reason and there are things that hold you down. But aside from that, don't let your own perception of what society's kind of pushed on you or what culturally has been Mm -hmm. pushed on you as the reason that you're doing something, analyze it for yourself, figure out if that's a goal you want and then go for it. Uh, I guess, is the more optimistic take on some of this. You know, we talked about all the very real realities of economic mobility and, and all yeah. of that. So, that with the precursor of all the things I've already said without repeating them. Well, and
0: that's really what I'm getting at. I think at the end of the day, and I, I guess maybe this is the approach I'm leaning towards, is like, it's okay if the people who are detractors of your position are saying, well, you need to come back with. A report and you need to back this up because you don't if you understand at a gut level that this is all wrong or you feel undignified in this Mm -hmm. that needs to come out before you do anything else then you can get into the whole like i have this study here that proves that this is all bullshit or like actually you're wrong and here's why like you don't need to jump into the debate mode. And I think a lot of this useless political discourse or a lot of like why people feel kneecapped is because they feel like they have to play the mainstream games uh, of political norms or of debate or things like that. And I'm not saying that you need to be undignified about it, but all I'm saying is like, there is a gut level back more and more so every day that people are having of something is not right and the way that people are suffering day to day is not just unjust, it's also undignified. And there's no joy in a world like this. And that's not an immature thing to want. It's not a unrealistic thing to demand. And again, you, I, I see this a lot, especially with the internet left and how they respond to critics from the right or from liberals. And they talk about pie in the sky. They talk about this like, oh, it's all hippie bullshit. Maybe all you have is hippie bullshit. If mm-hmm. that's all you have, try it. Yeah. Because oh, yeah, I, we okay, deserve yeah. to feel good. That's how I look at this.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly the the whole point of it is, is just uh, do it. Make sure you're analyzing things. Make sure you're doing what serves you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And if something doesn't, if something doesn't sit right or doesn't feel right. You don't need somebody else to necessarily tell you it's wrong in order to make a change. Um, follow your gut and, and make those decisions. Really think about the world around you um, and the world you live in and what shaped it, uh, which is a very broad way of putting things. But also, you know, it's okay to recognize, like you were kind of saying, that there are very real implications to the world around you and, you know, like I said, I think the institution of marriage and especially the state's involvement in it is silly. I think it doesn't serve me. I don't think it's designed to serve me. Well, it does serve me, I guess I should say. It's not designed to serve me. It's designed to help people that uh, fuck them. Uh, However, I realize that there is a very real implication that I stand to benefit from. And I, Mm -hmm. at my current stature and where I am in life, I can't afford to throw that benefit away. Um, And it's not wrong to engage with it as long as you understand the implications of the system that you're participating in. Uh, and you're not hurting other people i mean is the other side. well well,
0: absolutely you got to do what you have to do to like get through the day at the end of this i'm not saying that you need to demand revolution when you don't have a plan but but if you get that nagging sense of like shouldn't there be something sacred about this or shouldn't there be something good about this hold on to that because i think that's good
1: yeah view the world with a critical eye but also it's okay to prioritize your own your needs yeah. Amid yeah. what's going on.
0: Because well, there, yeah. So, of course, within reason, do what you can. But we're
1: all running the rat race.
0: <laughs> but again, the pain in your soul is good. Trust me, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. So, thanks again for another wonderful session. Where can people find you if they want more?
1: Uh, my Twitter, which uh, usually is Adi tags on his, but it's glitterfree08 uh, is my Twitter handle. Which is a gorilla's reference for anyone that cares.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will tag you again, of course. Um, the show is Greenhouse Gaslighting. You can follow us also on Twitter at, at podgreenhouse or look up Greenhouse Gaslighting on Facebook, Instagram, Grindr. I don't fucking care. Um, and try it online. Yeah, all in all. Uh, Thanks again, dear listener, for coming through once again. And if I don't hear from you soon enough, I'll see you all in the greenhouse once again. Take care.